Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Deuteronomy chapter six, that's where we're going to be for the entirety of the lesson this morning. And so you'll be helped by getting in the scriptures and following along in Deuteronomy chapter six. Just going to work this text for the duration of our study this morning. I appreciate very much the fact that here at the close of a holiday weekend, you have made it a priority to involve yourself in the, in the things of God. As our country has been celebrating its Independence Day, we on this day, as God's people, the first day of the week is of great significance to us. It is a day that we think about and reflect upon the Lord and give honor and praise and glory to Him through worship and even right now through the reverencing and through the study of His Word. And I want to get right to it in Deuteronomy the 6th chapter. Read with me if you will at the very top of the chapter. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm reading here in verse 1. This is Moses. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6 in verse 1, Now this is the commandment and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, keeping all His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. If you are not a citizen of the United States of America and you want to become a citizen, there is a long and complicated process that you have to go through that involves taking some classes and learning the laws of our land and learning about our nation's history and there's some residency requirements and just a whole bunch of red tape that you have to go through in order to get that done. But ultimately, when you near the end of that process, that all culminates in you taking an oath of citizenship. And it reads like this, you raise your right hand and you then recite the following, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince or potentate or state or sovereignty of whom which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. And now I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And of course the oath goes on from there, but it does make plain that I used to be a part of some other country. I used to be a part of some other sovereignty. I used to respect and bow down to the leaders of some other nation, but now, now I'm going to be a citizen of this country. In fact, I'll be so much a part of this country that I will support and defend this country. Now in Deuteronomy the 6th chapter, Moses did not ask the Israelites to raise their right hand or to put their hand over their heart or to repeat after him, but he could have. Because what follows in the next several verses becomes the very basic and essential creed in all of Israel. It is in a very real way Israel's pledge of allegiance. And you should know that these words that Moses says beginning in verse 4 and going down through verse 9, they are recited every morning and every evening by Orthodox Jews 
all over the world even to this day. It starts every synagogue service. It is known as the Shema, and it contains the fundamental truths and duties of Israel's religion. If that doesn't strike you as being particularly attention-grabbing, maybe this will. Jesus quotes from this. And Jesus says that this contains the greatest commandments. That grabs my attention. That seizes my interest, which is why this morning I'd like to spend just a few minutes together in Deuteronomy the 6th chapter. I want us to understand exactly what it was that Israel was pledging their allegiance to do. And then once we understand that, I'd like for us to think about the implications of this oath, this pledge, as it pertains to us today. Are you ready for that? Maybe we ought to start just by actually reading the passage. What are we talking about here? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, this is a somewhat familiar and famous set of verses in Deuteronomy 6. And in verse 4, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. Those are extraordinary words there. But before we start picking all those words apart and making all kinds of applications for us today, maybe we ought to just stop and assess what exactly is going on in Deuteronomy 6. What exactly is the context here? In fact, it might even be good to just kind of back up and ask, what's a Deuteronomy? That's not a word that we use regularly, is it? It kind of sounds like something that could be broken on your car. I took my car down to the mechanic and oh man, he said I need more blinker fluid and a new muffler belt and my Deuteronomy's all broken. Well, don't go looking for a Deuteronomy on your car because you're not going to find one there. What exactly is Deuteronomy? Well, what we're talking about is we're talking about the second telling of the law. That's what that word means. In fact, you can see it there in the prefix deutero. That is where we get our English word Duo or deuce meaning two. And then of course the last part of that word there is the word nomos which means law. This is Moses giving the law of God for the second time now to the children of Israel as they are preparing to enter into the promised land without Moses. And so before they go, Moses wants to prepare them for the essentials of survival and success with God in this new land. Moses wants to equip them with the fundamental ideas of what it is that makes God's people God's people. In fact, what Deuteronomy 6 really ends up providing us is a lens through which we can read and understand the whole rest of the Old Testament. Because we want to know after reading those verses... Did the Israelites do this? Did they take that oath of allegiance? And most importantly of all, did they actually live up to this pledge that they were making? Well, let's just talk about the pledge. Let's talk about what's in this pledge. It begins, verse 4, with, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses says that everything has to start with the understanding that there is one God. And He is Jehovah. I want you to please remember that Israel is about to step into Canaan. That's a polytheistic culture where there were many so-called gods. And the Canaanites, no doubt, are going to have an influence on how the Israelites think and practice and believe religiously. The answer, or maybe the best defense to that happening, is for the Israelites to have a complete and undivided allegiance to Jehovah God before they ever even step foot into that land. Because He is indeed the only God. There's some different translation wording there in verse 4 that He is God alone. He is the true God of the universe. Israel needed to pledge themselves to that one God. Which leads to verse 5 where Moses says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. There's no need for us to try to dissect that and pick all that apart and try to come up with different ideas for heart and soul and might. Some, some places it even includes the word mind. What this just simply means is this means that you need to love God with everything that you've got. Since God has loved you, He's brought you out of Egypt. He's provided for you in the wilderness. He's taken care of your needs. He's giving you this new land. Moses reminds them of those sorts of things all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Since God loves you so much, then the only fitting response is for you to love Him back. In fact, when Jesus quotes this in Matthew the 22nd chapter... That is exactly why he refers to it as the greatest command. That everything that we do in service to God, it must be predicated on total love and devotion for Him. Keeping commandments is good. Observing statutes is good. Following God's rules is good. But all of that is only good when it flows from a heart that is filled up with love for the Lord. In fact, I think that concept is very evident in the very next verse. In verse 6, Moses says, These words that I command you this day, they shall be on your heart. Moses is pushing here for heartfelt obedience to the Lord's command. This is not about just getting in there and then we're just going to go through the motions because we have to do that. This is not about obeying God simply out of a sense of of compulsion and arm twisting. No. No, Moses is saying if we're going to be successful in this new land, then we've got to mean it. It has to be real. It has to be genuine. It has to emanate from a willing heart. And of course, where it is that we are going... We want to take that land and we want to live in that land, not just for us, not just in our generation. We don't just want to be there for a little while. No, we want to be there, our people, permanently. And so these ideas need to be transmitted and passed on to the next generation. And that's verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You see, this is about a whole lot more than just one generation loving and obeying God. This is about all generations doing that. And so what that means then, as Moses talks about in verses 7, 8, and 9, 
is we're going to take advantage of every opportunity to talk about that and to think about that and to show that. In fact, we're going to do that spontaneously in our daily conversation and activity so that our faith, what we believe, what we're all about, it can be instilled into the next generation so that one day they can make this same pledge. We want what we believe and what we're about to rub off on them. And so, let's just add it up and score it. What exactly is this pledge here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9? Well, Moses says here, Israel, you need to understand the oneness, the uniqueness, the supremacy of God, verse 4, so that you can then respond to Him in love, verse 5, which will enable you to obey Him from the heart, verse 6, so that you can then teach it to your children and they can do the same, verses 7, 8, and 9. This was Israel's pledge of allegiance to be God's people. Which begs the question, what about us? What about you and I today? You know, we claim to be the people of God today and those of us who are part of the body of Christ, we certainly are. Do these truths not still have some import and some significance for us some 3,500 years later? I realize that we do not physically live in the land of Canaan and we are not literally surrounded by Philistines and Amalekites on every side. But it is true that we live in a time and we live in a place where increasingly people are becoming hostile to our faith. More and more we are trekking forward into enemy territory. And so how can we take these truths and appropriate them into our lives and live them out so that we can survive and succeed as the people of God today? Well, to help us to think about that, I want to conclude this morning by asking four questions. Four questions from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, that will help us to look at this pledge, to understand it, to take it, and then to make it our very own. And that begins with question number one. Question number one, what are you hearing? What are you listening to? Do you notice how that question references the statement that Moses makes twice, the statement that he makes there in verse 3? And then repeats again in verse 4 when Moses says, Hear, O Israel. Moses is saying that what you listen to matters. In fact, more than 30 times in the book of Deuteronomy alone, Moses will say, Hear, listen, pay attention. And so it then behooves us today as the Israel of God to just ask, what are you listening to? You know, in Moses' day, no Israelite shepherd could reach into the folds of his robe and then pull out a device by which he could connect himself to the entire world with the single press of a button. That in his hand, he could have access to all of the world's news and sports and entertainment and opinions and analysis about everything by everyone virtually everywhere. But you and I can. We can do that. And as a result of that, 
Unfortunately, a lot of us are listening to a lot of noise. That's what we're listening to. And there's a whole lot of clutter in there. And when our ears are filled with all of that racket, and when our mind is distracted by all of the clamor of this world, we can't hear the Lord. Can I say that again? We can't hear God. What do I mean by that? Somebody says, well, Josh, God's not talking to us in an audible voice the way He talked to Moses. And I get that. But what I'm talking about, for example, is about the powerful testimony of of God's creation. What creation, nature, what it says about God's majesty and how awed we ought to be by that. I watched a documentary last week about the Apollo 11 moon landing. Man, how incredible that was. But you know what? Going to the moon, walking on the moon, not as incredible as making the moon. God did that. And He made the sun. And He made the stars. And He made a thousand times a thousand galaxies. The question is, can we hear the voice of creation, Psalm 19? And of course, even much more important than what God is saying through nature, what about the voice of God in Scripture? What about that? Do we have time? Do we have the attention span to hear what God has explicitly said by His Spirit, through His Word? Or are we too preoccupied with all of the sights and all of the sounds of the pagan land in which we live? Are we listening to the Lord? I think, yeah, I'm actually pretty positive, that was a plug for daily Bible reading. I love plugging daily Bible reading whenever I get the opportunity. You know, we just passed the halfway point for 2020. So how are you doing with all of those resolutions that you made back on January 1 about being devoted to reading the Bible in the new year? Are you hearing the voice of the Lord? If maybe you're having a little bit of trouble with that, well, that might be because you're struggling with this second question. Question number two... Do you know who God is? Do you? As you look there at Deuteronomy chapter 6, do you see there in verse 4 that word Lord in all uppercase letters? That's the cue to us as the readers that we are looking there at the actual name of God. We are looking at that Y-H-W-H, the I am, or the transliterated term that we use today, Yahweh, or maybe the anglicized version of that, Jehovah. That is the name of God, not Baal, not Molech, not Chemosh, Yahweh. And Moses starts everything with a correct understanding of who God is. And you and I need to be reminded of that as well. I know that we're probably not going to to confuse the Lord for, for Allah, the God of Islam. We're not going to confuse the Lord for for Buddha or some other God of a Near Eastern religion. We're not going to confuse the Lord for some statue made out of bronze or gold or silver. But probably what you and I most need to realize as Americans is that our God is not self. 
And the fact of the matter is, that is the God that most Americans are serving. I understand and I realize that that's probably not the most patriotic thing to say on 4th of July weekend. But if you do go down to the idol temple of most Americans, what you will find is you will find them bringing their money and laying it on the altar of pleasure in order to please the idol of self. My fun. My happiness. My comfort comes first. What I want to do, even if that means nudging Jehovah a little bit to the side so make room for me here on this throne. But what Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us of is that there's only room for one God in this whole universe. And I need to grapple with the harsh reality that I'm not Him. And I ain't ever going to be Him. I need to know who the Lord really is so that I can love Him and serve Him and obey Him with all my heart, mind, and strength and then teach my children to do the same. Which is this third question. Brings me right nicely quite to that. Question number three. Who is it that's taking responsibility for teaching your children? Uh, parents, do you take personally this responsibility laid out in verse 7, 8, and 9 that you shall teach them diligently? Who's the you? Listen to me carefully. The you there is not Moses. The you there is not Aaron or the Levites or any of the priests. Now, when Israel gets into Canaan, yes, there will be priests. And they will be scattered and stationed all throughout the land. And yes, part of their duty is going to be to teach the law of God. And so it would have been really easy right here for Moses to just say, Hey, Israelites, when you get to the promised land, you just need to make sure that you go and enroll your kids in synagogue school so that they can be taught the law of God. We've got all of these professional teaching men who will teach your kids the law of God. They will take care of instructing your children in the way of the Lord. Moses could have said that. But that's not what Moses says. Instead, Moses says that parents have the responsibility to help their children know who God is and why it is that we love Him so much and how it is that we ought to respond to Him in loving and faithful obedience. Mom and Dad, that is your job, Moses says. And that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed several centuries later. That is still God's edict. In fact, did you notice there, parents, that Moses says the way you're going to do that is when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, his point is that a lot of that teaching is it's going to happen off the cuff. It's going to happen off script, so to speak. It's not going to be some kind of a formal lecture, sit down, Johnny, I need to have the God talk with you. No. No, Moses says this teaching, in order for it to be most effective, is it's going to need to happen in the casual, day-to-day -day affairs of just ordinary life. That regularly, our mouths are just going to be filled with speaking of the Lord. We're going to call attention as we're driving down the road. We're going to point out God's handiwork. Look at that sunset that God gave us. Look at the beautiful trees and the flowers in bloom. God is amazing. 
We're going to look at current events going on in our world and we're going to relate that to His law and His word. Most of all, we're going to allow our children to see the Lord living in us. Which means then that mom and dad, the teaching and the instruction that your children receive when they come to church, that should merely be a supplement to what you are already doing at home. If those couple of hours a week when your kids come to church, if that is the main and the primary source of the spiritual instruction that they receive, then you are failing. And that's a harsh thing to say, but that's exactly what Deuteronomy 6 is showing us. You cannot hand off that responsibility to the preacher or to the Bible class teachers or to the elders or to the local church at large or anybody else. You, you are the one who is charged with teaching and modeling a love for God and what commitment to Him is all about. And that brings me to this fourth and final question. And that is that we need to ask ourselves, am I living out my commitment to God? I want you to be absolutely certain that Moses' challenge here in verses 4 through 9 is not for Israel to be able to recite and say the things that he says, just kind of take this oath just to be saying it. No, the challenge here is for them to understand this and then live it out in their lives. And yet if you know your history of the Old Testament, then you know that the problem for Israel throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is that oftentimes they say the right things, but they just don't always do the right things. Oftentimes you'll find them saying, Oh yes, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. We will serve Him on and on and on. They say they enchant the right words, but far too often they don't follow through. Their hands, verse 8, are not given to the work of God. The places that they go and they come, verse 9, are not God's places. Their walk does not match all of their talk. Now it's very easy for us, on a Sunday morning especially, to sing, oh how I love Jesus, or to let out a hearty amen after the prayer is offered or even to nod very affirmingly during the preaching of God's Word. Really easy to do that when we come here. But it is something altogether different to take that commitment, what we are professing in our lives on Sunday, to take that so seriously that I now take that out there 24-7. Live that out in the other 168 hours of the week. And so when I'm out there, Do I, verse 2, fear the Lord? When I'm out there, verse 3, am I careful to do His commandments? When I'm out there, do I do that, verses 5 and 6, from a heart that is motivated by love? Are you living out your commitment? And I will remind you, Christian, that that was a commitment that was forged for you in the waters of baptism. Don't you forget that. Am I living that out? Am I honoring the pledge that I once made as I give my undivided allegiance to God? I am guessing that like most of the rest of you, 
I didn't have to take an oath of allegiance to the United States. I was born here. But of course, any time that I hear or I see about someone who's went through that arduous process of citizenship, I'm always impressed with the level of dedication that that would take to say and then live out that oath in your life. You and I need to understand that we are citizens of a much greater kingdom. We are citizens of spiritual Israel. And while God does not call upon us to recite Deuteronomy 6 or any other passage or any other kind of scripted verbiage in order to solidify the oath of allegiance, what He does do is He calls upon us to pledge our lives to Him. And what Deuteronomy 6 does for us is it provides a handy little summary of what that ought to look like and then it pushes us to ask ourselves, am I doing that? Am I demonstrating a commitment, an allegiance to the Lord by how I live? Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you so thankful to you for the words of your servant Moses. And we're thankful for how relevant those words are even for us today. Father, we ask you to help us to take these words deep into our heart that we might recognize your supremacy as the one true God, that we might come to love you more so that we can become more obedient to your will and to your way. And we pray, Father, that you would bless our efforts to pass that on, to instill faith in our children and in our grandchildren. Father, we do ask for your forgiveness whenever we fail you, whenever our allegiance to you is not full and complete. Help us, Lord, to see the error of our way so that we can repent and that we can live out the kind of commitment that you desire, the kind of commitment that you deserve. Father, we thank you so much for your Son and for the salvation that we enjoy through His blood. And it is in His name that we pray. And amen.